This is the Vent Time with Connie podcast, where we discuss topics that can be controversial or uncontroversial. Topics range from family, faith, lifestyle, you name it. No topic is off limits. New episodes released every Tuesday and Friday. All right, sit back and relax. Here is your host of the show, Connie. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ventime with Connie podcast. I'm your host, Connie. Welcome to a new episode. So um, just a quick reminder, guys, we do have a website, uh, VentimeWithConniePodcast.com. Make sure you go check it out. And um, we do have merch product that you can also purchase. And please, uh, you can support the podcast as little as you can. Any amount is greatly appreciated. And a couple of announcements. I've already announced this previously, but we're going to be having a weekly live show. So that means there's no more Friday episode. So we'll be releasing an episode on Tuesdays and one and a bonus episode on Sunday. And we have a live show on Saturdays every week at 2.30 p.m. And it's about the entrepreneur series where we bring in different people uh we talk about how you can make money and how you can succeed in your businesses so make sure you tune in to listen to that so there'll be a lot of information provided for you and uh, so topic of today um as you can tell by the title is um overcoming addiction i have a guest today and um he had a very profound story so he had a lot of opportunity in his life college education career with genetech and he also owned a home in San Francisco, yet he threw it all and much more. Away to two decades of drug addiction, he spent months in jail and years in distinction. His final 11 devastating years of addiction to methamphetamine resulted in harrowing psychosis, including extreme paranoia around the FBI. After getting clean in 2008, he discovered just because you're done with drugs, doesn't mean drugs are done with you. He continued to battle severe mental health challenges. Fortunately, amazing individuals inspired him to pursue a path of self-improvement, spirituality, service to others. In 2019, FBI Director Christopher Wery recognized him with his, with his Director's Community Leadership Award. His inspiring transformation is a subject of his upcoming book called My Addiction and Recovery, Just Because You're Done With Drugs Doesn't Mean Drugs Are Done With You. His articles appear in Washington Post and San Francisco Chronicle and Vox. He has appeared on stage for the most. He volunteers for the FBI and police department in his hometown of San Francisco, helping their outreach to, communi to communities affected by incarceration and addiction. He spends days and weekends in California State Prison and volunteer for um, organizations that deliver training in entrepreneurism and employment for currently and formerly incarcerated men and women. He mm -hmm. leads a weekly Toastmaster style meeting in a women's unit of San Francisco County Jail. I'm talking about Ed. Hi, Ed. How are you doing today? I'm great, Connie. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and talk with you and uh, with your amazing audience. Oh, thank you so much for being here. So where do you stay exactly? What state do you stay in? I live in California. I'm in Massachusetts right now during the pandemic. In fact, I'm standing in, the, in my childhood bedroom. 
right now. So <laughs> I'm taking quarantine to a new level. That's I've been a here ever since level. the pandemic started. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. So you are good health-wise, your family, everybody's good? I am good. Thank you so much for asking. I hope the same is true for you. And I hope that everyone in your audience and their loved ones are healthy and safe also. Yes, I pray so too. So going back to your story, um, you do have a, quite an interesting story. I want us to start from the beginning, you know, where it all started. Can you tell us about your life growing up so we can get a little glimpse of your childhood? I had a lot of opportunities growing up, Connie. I had a lot of unfair advantages given to me, let's face it, because of my skin color, which is white, because of my socioeconomic background, which is privileged, because of these things, society bestowed upon me unfair opportunities. Meaning, you know, I had things that other people didn't have, didn't, weren't able to get. College education, a career with a biotech firm that you kindly mentioned, they were called Genentech. Genentech was the number one best company in America to work for, according to Fortune magazine. They treated me very well while I was there. I had a home, as you mentioned, in San Francisco that I owned. I rode a big BMW motorcycle, much, much more because society gave me unfairly the things that white people from privileged socioeconomic backgrounds are given. This was my childhood. This was my life growing up. And there's more to it. I, I was a, a very bullied kid. I was afraid to stand up for myself on the playgrounds. I was uncoordinated, couldn't compete in sports or in a gym class. I was very sensitive. I would cry very easily in school, in grade school, when the teachers yelled or the kids were rowdy on the bus and the bus driver would pull over. I used to cry. I loved to escape into worlds of fantasy. The world of fantasy was always much more attractive to me than the world of reality. What it all adds up to is I just didn't fit in as a youth. The only way, or at least one of the most pivotal ways I found that I felt like I could fit in was through drinking wow. and later drug use. Wow. When I drank, I felt like a switch had been flipped. All of a sudden, the things that I was saying that would get me punched on the playground, now people were, were laughing. They weren't laughing at me anymore. They were laughing with me. The women, or they were girls at that time, you know, when we were 14, 15, 16, when I started drinking, the girls that I could never have the confidence to approach in a, in a manner of being friendly and of, of starting uh, friendships, now all of a sudden I could approach because wow. I had that alcohol, which was like a magic potion to me. It was like that switch had been flipped. All of a sudden with drinking and later drugs, I felt like I could be the person who I never had the confidence and the discipline to be. Wow. At the same time, I sort of had a dream going back to when I was, I, I forget how young, go, going back to when I was in the English classes in school, the teachers would call me to the front of the room to read aloud a story I had written or a composition I had created. Those were some of the first times that I felt like I was bringing value to the world around me. Wow. When I was in front of the room or when the teacher was reading my story aloud, I felt I had done something well and done something right and was bringing something to my peer group. 
And the same bullies who would punch me on the playground after English class, they would clap me on the shoulder. They would become your friends. Wow. They would become like my friends. And then then later they would go back to bullying me. But that's okay, you know. So the the point is I developed this dream of being a writer. Mm -hmm. My dream from a very early age was to write a book, to publish a book. That I felt was my ticket to being a worthwhile person or to feeling like a worthwhile person. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when I, again, when I was 14, then 15 and 16, I found an easier, quicker way. It was an illusion. It was a false way, but it made me feel like I could get to that dream of, of, of feeling like a worthwhile person. And that easier way uh, was heavy, heavy drinking when I was 16, leading to heavy drug use when I was 17 going forward. Okay. Just listening to your story, I'm guessing that you got into the drug addiction because you were trying to escape from something, which is bullying or this sense of belonging. So was there anything else more to it other than that? Yes. One thing, if there's one thing that people might consider about drug addiction, if there's one thing that I would like people to understand It is that for addicted persons like me, oftentimes drugs are not our problem. Drugs are our attempt at a solution. Yes. The the problem was me. The problem was that I hated myself. So yes, Connie, you're, you're absolutely right. There was more to it. There was my dream of not being a writer. There was being a bullied kid. There were my compulsion, my compulsions. I was a compulsive eater. I was a compulsive uh, smoker. I was compulsive. I had a lot of compulsions. I was a liar. I used to lie. Going, one of my first memories was shoplifting little penny candy from the supermarket and getting caught by the store manager. So I was a thief. I would, as, as time went by when I was in college, I used to lie. I would make up stories from my past about how I'd been a football player or a fist fighter or any number of things. So I could become in my mind, I could become a different person, someone other than who I was. These were my problems. Okay. Drugs are my attempt at a solution. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the addiction can varies. It cannot just only be drugs. There's so many other things that we call there's addiction that we don't really consider addiction because in our mind, it's just not a big deal. You know, it's not that huge of a deal. So I wanted us, I wanted you to address, you know, other factors that contributed to that, why you are trying to escape. So when it comes to addiction, what is one thing that people should understand? You know, because you went through it, I want you to explain people some things that a lot of people don't really understand about addiction. Yes, the most important thing again is that drugs usually, drugs often are not our problem. Drugs are our attempt at a solution. Another important thing is to understand that one should never give up hope. Escape is possible, even from the most challenging seeming circumstances. For me, I was deep, deep, deep into methamphetamine psychosis. I had inadvertently befriended a 9-11 hijacker, or so I thought. I was at the nexus of a vast FBI conspiracy, or so I believed. When I was in methamphetamine psychosis, I heard disembodied voices 
jabbering at me, harassing me, threatening to kidnap me and torture me to death. I would find doctored pictures of myself in magazines and, uh, and on the internet. I would believe in invisible FBI stealth bombers following me with my family and friends all on board. This was not some story. This was my reality. This was the life I led as a methamphetamine addict. I threw away my home in San Francisco. It was a beautiful home. I, I threw away my career at Genentech. I threw away my life savings. I pushed away everyone who was close to me, who loved me, who tried to help me. Ended up serving months in jail, spending nights in homeless shelters. I went months without showering or brushing my teeth. I would eat food that I found. I cheated welfare. I cheated food stamps. I would get food stamps and then take the food stamps to the supermarket, purchase steaks, then take the steaks to my drug dealer to trade for meth. I did things I'm deeply ashamed of. I had this beautiful dog. He was like a... He, was, he looked like a coyote, uh, incredibly smart, this beautiful, gentle dog. I mistreated this dog. I neglected him. I would leave him alone at home when I was out scoring my drugs. I would shake him by the scruff of the neck because I was terrified he would run out into traffic because my methamphetamine psychosis had me believing there were FBI agents hidden in the bushes trying to kill my dog. You know, I had all these, yeah. all these beliefs I fell prey to. It was terrible. I, I truly believed I had inadvertently befriended a 9-11 hijacker. It's, it's a long story, but I once uh, wrote an email to this person. Wow. I told him that the FBI had interviewed me about yeah. him, believing he might have been associated with terrorists. And the re- this FBI interview actually happened. It was because I had sent in information to the FBI about this guy. It was all true information. And, and the friend of mine who I'm talking about, he looked a little bit like one of the hijackers. Maybe he could have been. The point is, Connie, the picture that your audience, hopefully the picture your audience is getting, is that there was a person, me, very, very deep into methamphetamine psychosis. The reason you're hearing all about these FBI conspiracies and 9-11 and the hijacker and my beautiful dog, the reason you're hearing this is hopefully you're getting a picture in your mind of a down and out methamphetamine addicted person who has made so many poor decisions and, and sunk himself into the life I was in in 2007. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, for your audience, thanks to amazing help, I turned my life around. I became a community servant. And if Ed Cressy can do it, others can too. So back to the point, to understand something about addiction, never give up hope. And people have come, people have returned from circumstances far more challenging than mine. That's true. Yeah. Wow. That's just, that's something. I'm so happy that you were able to overcome me. And I know a lot of people are still struggling with stuff like that. It might not be just drug, it could be alcohol, it could be um, serial cheating, it could be so many other things, right? So for people that are struggling with this, you know, what is the best way to help a person struggling with addiction? The best way, one, one good way to really help people is to think about driving your car from New York to Houston. 
where you are in Houston, right? Yes. Okay, or or say, say you start in Massachusetts where I'm and you want to drive to Houston. What are you going to need in order to be able to do that? Gas. Gas. Car. What else? Food. Food, yes. And one thing, you're, you're absolutely going to need those things, and you will need a map. That's true. Right? Or mm -hmm. a GPS or something. GPS, now, you, yeah. you could say you could look at the sun and, and gauge roughly where west and south are and start driving your car southwest. Conceivably, you could make it to Houston just by going on your instincts and heading in the right general direction. Mm -hmm. Yet, it's going to be very, very difficult for you. Sure. Yet, so many people who I hear from who email me, who call me, who reach out to me. So many people, when it comes to the addictions they're struggling with or their loved ones they're struggling with, seem to do just that. They sit out in a car from Boston or from Massachusetts to Houston without a map or without a GPS. They try to figure their own way. Conceivably, it can be done. It's very, very challenging. In the same way that you can get a map from Massachusetts to Houston, people have escaped addiction. People have overcome it. People have gone on to a beautiful life and they leave maps behind. They leave directions. Now, you could stay, when you're going from Massachusetts to, to Houston, you could go through Canada, beautiful country of Canada. You could go through the amazing American South. You could go the straight route if you, you could do it in a couple days. I don't know how long it would take. But there are different ways to get from Massachusetts to Houston. There's not one way that's right. absolutely the right way, and there's no other right way. That's not mm -hmm. true. What one needs to do on this hypothetical drive is to consider the various routes, figure out the one that's going to work best for you, and, and pursue that route. So to get back to the question, the one good way to overcome addiction is by reading books by people who have done it. There are some great books. There's a book by Mary Carr called Lit, a beautiful book about how she overcame alcoholism. There's a, a book by Brandon Novak, who is a professional skateboarder who overcame drug addiction. There are many, many books. Books are kind of, books are good because they're, uh, reading is like, I think it's, uh, I, I forget who it is, uh, not, anyway, there, there's a great quote by someone, uh, Tucker Max. Mm -hmm. Tucker Max says that, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's him, he says that uh, reading is like seeing thoughts crystallized on a page. Yeah. And when we read books, we, we can kind of get a, a true sense of what is that map that's left behind by someone who's overcome addiction. Books are by no means the only way. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people you can meet through the course of your everyday life who have overcome addiction. There's amazing stuff on the internet. There are TED Talks. Mm -hmm. Go out there and see what other people have done to overcome their addiction and draw your own map. Because if you don't have, if you don't have a means to get where you're going, then it's going to be very, very difficult for you to get there. So take your guidance from others who have accomplished what you want to accomplish. And remember, too, that your destination is usually not a drug-free life. I mean, by that I mean our goal is not to quit drugs. Our goal is to lead a meaningful life. Yeah. Our goal is to contribute to our communities. Our goal is to pursue spirituality. That's me. My, my goal in life is to, is to get that relationship with, with God, the universe, yeah. or karma, or whatever, whatever she is, that force out there. That, that's my personal goal. So quitting drugs is a necessary step to get to where we're going. But it's, yes. not, it's, it's almost always not the end result. Mm -hmm. so understand that. When you're, when you're looking to get yourself out of addiction or a loved one, 
think of, of where you ultimately want to end up. You're going through getting clean. Getting clean is we have to go. We have to pass that waypoint. Yet you know we got to get to that meaningful life. We got to get mm -hmm. to that spiritual life, that life of service, or that life of family or community. Whatever it is for us, that's where we got to get. It's a complex subject, but hopefully your audience gets something out of what's worked for me. Yes, I mean, oh, hopefully they do. I pray they do. And um, it's always good to learn from other experience, other people's experience, or what how they survive through similar things that you might be going through. So that could also help. But um, in your story, you have a remarkable story of the aha moment, right? When you realize that you need to change your you need to change or face die consequences. So can you tell us about it and enlighten our li listeners around their own aha moments? It was October 2007. I was living in this flop house hotel. I used to, I had a soldering iron. You know what a soldering iron is? No. A soldering iron, it's, it's you, you plug it in, it's electric, it gets very, very hot. It gets hot enough to melt metal. Wow. And, and you used to repair electronics and, and oh, other okay. things too. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I had the soldering iron because I used to build, I used to build these weird uh, like alchemy devices to try and make methamphetamine out of gold or gold cufflinks or something. You know, it's a long story. The point is I would have this soldering iron and I would leave it plugged in because I needed it for a weapon against the people I thought were going to come and kick down my door. This was the life I lived in October 2007. In my Flophouse Hotel, there was a sink in the corner where I would wash my clothes, I would ash my cigarettes, and I would urinate. I hadn't showered or brushed my teeth in months. I wore the same clothes every day. I had sort of two sort of outfits. One, one outfit was this filthy baseball jacket and these filthy slacks and Converse shoes held together by duct tape. The other outfit was a tuxedo. <laughs> I mean, it really was because I had worked at the strip clubs in the North Beach area of San Francisco. The strip clubs had treated me well. They gave me an opportunity. They gave me a job. Yet I was a terrible employee. I would show up with a bottle of, of whiskey in my tuxedo jacket pocket. I would show up high or not show up at all. In October 2007, I put on my, my filthy tuxedo. I unplugged my soldering irons I, I didn't carry it around in the streets I used to carry around a 357 pistol loaded in my I, I had but before I got arrested and the, the police took the pistol off me but uh, in on October night in 2007 I was shambling the sidewalks having screaming matches with the disembodied voices that I heard at all times I found myself in a downtown hotel fancy hotel blending in <laughs> in my tuxedo there I, I found my way to a bar where I, I waited till someone set down a half-finished drink and walked away I picked up the half-finished drink and knocked it back I didn't have any money to, to buy to buy booze in that hotel there was a ballroom in the ballroom a wedding reception was taking place I stood at the threshold of the hotel ballroom in my filthy tuxedo thinking I'm gonna crash I'm gonna go in there maybe they'll mistake me for a groomsman <laughs> right you know maybe, maybe yeah. just nobody will notice I wanted something to eat I wanted a free drink as I was standing there at some level something occurred to me in the few years leading up to that night in October 2007 
five couples had gotten married. Five couples I knew, 10 of my closest friends. All of them had invited me to their wedding. And Connie, do you know out of those five weddings how many I showed up at? Hmm. How many? One, two, zero? zero. Wow. Not one. Not one wedding. One couple had asked me to be their best man. Hmm. And on that October night in 2007, at some level, I realized just how far I had let my life deteriorate. Yes. The, the people I had hurt, what I was doing to myself. I remembered my, my memory went back to when I was 14 years old and the first time I got drunk was at a wedding reception hmm. in, in Brooklyn, New York at my aunt's. And at the other part of the story too is in October 2007, the disembodied voices I used to hear, yes. I, can, I considered them my spouse. I considered myself married to them because I was so deep and so sunk into this world of psychosis and paranoia and FBI conspiracies that I believed I was married to it. On that October night, I went home, I smoked the last of my meth, I smoked the last of my marijuana, never went back to methamphetamine. Yeah. Never went back to, to, to have it. I did a little bit of drinking since, but, but very minimal. I never went back to states of intoxication. I began working very, very hard. I went to 12-step meetings, two, three, four, sometimes five 12-step meetings in the course of a day. Yeah. I got a job at a Christmas tree lot. I would haul these Christmas trees on my shoulder and tie them to the tops of people's cars, and they would, they would give me some tips. And this is from the person who had been on a career path at the number one best company in America to work for. But I didn't care, you know, now I, I realized the perseverance and the discipline that I had to apply to my life's transformation if I, I was going to keep on a path to rejoining society. I began to learn how to make amends. Most importantly, I pursued that spiritual path. I been, began to believe that there was something that's, that's a God or a higher power or a, a karma or a universe, whatever the, the name is, I began to believe that she exists. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't understand her and I still don't to this day, but I pursued a path of intense spiritual work, of meditation, of contemplation, of learning from Zen teachers, from rabbis, from pastors, from any, all kinds of people. Not that I, I necessarily pursued any one faith-based pathway, uh, Faith-based organizations are wonderful, at least the ones I've been exposed to. Uh, many of some, the greatest learnings that have come my way have come from people like pastors and, uh, and rabbis. Mm -hmm. For me, spirituality became a path of, of understanding that if there is such a thing as a God or, or a universe or a karma, as I believe there is, she's within my heart. Yes. And, and she's within all of our hearts. And any of us who seek her, uh, God's not going to make two hard terms with us. These are the things I began to learn. At the same time, I began to pass a path of intense volunteering. I volunteered for the Red Cross. I volunteered as a first responder. I began a path of service. So instead of just taking from my communities as an addicted person, cheated welfare and drained the court systems and law enforcement, now I was giving to my societies, my, my communities. I was giving to society. And uh, as part of all that, I, so I began self-improvement. So spirituality, self-improvement, service to others, that got me from that place of that hotel ballroom in October 2007 to really leading a beautiful, amazing life in which hopefully I bring them some measure of good to others the way so many others have brought good to me. Yes. Yeah, your story is, is impeccable. Like, 
I can I can imagine you went through all this and you were able to, you know, survive or you were able to get past it, you know. And it reminds me of um like a Roger Bannister effect, right? For those who don't know what that means, is actually a Roger Bannister is a, a American track runner. He crushed the four minute mile mark and paved the way for runners to dream of the impossible. So his story basically reveals that reviews work in our core if we release the shackles in our mind and get out of our own head. So your story kind of reminds me of that. And um, how is it that our listeners can be inspired? Our listener, your, your listeners or, or the per persons listening today, your incredible audience can be inspired by the stories of others. So the, I love the Roger Bannister story. I think about it all the time. There are, are so many people who've accomplished as much as I have, if not far more, the, the books, especially, I keep coming back to books because books are such a wonderful way to really learn about an individual and what the individual was thinking, what the individual was doing and model ourselves after those individuals. I hate to compare myself to, I hate to seem like I'm comparing myself to Nelson Mandela, but I've read his autobiography twice, learned so much from it. We are very different people, Nelson Mandela and I, but the, the, the mindset and the process he used to approaching how he transformed the people around him, his nation, and the, eventually the world, I can apply some of what he did to transforming my own life and to making myself a better person. Um, reading books about individuals, certainly there's so much information on the internet right now. You know, if you spend uh, a half hour or an hour listening to somebody's story or immersing yourself in the story of a person who's transformed her life or his life, you'll almost always get at least one thing out of that that you can take with you either at a conscious or subconscious level. And if you get one thing and then tomorrow you get another thing and then the next day a third thing, eventually you will find yourself being inspired and you will begin modeling yourself after persons like, in my case, Nelson Mandela or in somebody else's case, uh, whoever your whoever the heroic person is in your life that you either know or, or know of. Really, uh, again, it's like getting that map. It's like looking at that map from Massachusetts to Houston. There are many, many different routes to go, but you know, we gotta pick one. We gotta pick a couple and we gotta start along that route and find our waypoints and see what other people have done. Find our own path, yet uh, apply perseverance, apply, uh, apply the wisdom passed along from others. Inspiration comes in many forms, and, and for your listeners, you know, it's a matter of, if, if, there, if you're anything like me, it's a matter of just finding out as much as you possibly can about people who have accomplished things similar to what you want to accomplish. That's true. Well, um, in summary, I want to give you, I want to let you to just um, advise the young men out there that are struggling with this, you know. It doesn't mean women don't struggle with this too, but people in general that might be struggling with any addiction, they might think, oh, your own is not that, their own is not that big of a deal, or your own might be lesser than theirs. Then what advice would you give to them um, to take home? Find someone you can trust and talk to that person. Be honest with the person. You can, if, uh, if nothing, you know, if you, if you can't find anyone, you can talk to me. I, I'm happy to give, can I give my email address? Yes, yes, you can. It's ed.kressy at icloud.com. Feel free to email me and, tell, and say, you know, you're a friend of Connie's or you, you heard me on Connie's. 
Uh, yet there, you know, find someone you can trust, you can talk to, who you can be, who you feel you can be forthcoming about what's going on with you, what you're thinking. You will find that although it feels like you're alone, really you're not alone. Other people have walked similar paths. Other people have encountered similar obstacles. You are a unique person. Your life, your talents, your skills, your struggles are unique to you. Yet there are similarities between what you're going through and what others have gone through that they've overcome. Find someone you can trust, talk. You will find that the answers are within you. You have the answers in your heart. When, the more you talk about it, the more honest you are. They say that uh, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Yes. So those, those secrets that we're only as sick, sick as our secrets. And when we, shine, when, we, when we shine sunlight on the secrets, the secrets go away and yes. a lot of our problems we find are, are manageable. Yes. To add to what you just say, I would say for those that um, they are listening and they are thinking, oh, he, he's white, he's privileged, he was able to get through it because of his privileges. But um, um, you might be black listening to this. You think, I don't have such privileges. I don't think I will ever recover from this. I don't think I will ever survive through this. I will tell you that's devil speaking to you, telling you, lying to you. If you're a Christian, I would like to direct you to Romans chapter 6, read from 11 to 14. Pay attention closely to verse 12 and verse 14. Sin don't have any dominion over you. The devil can sometimes whisper in your ears and tell you, no, it's just one time. It's just this one time. You're going to get over it. You're just going to pray about it and God will forgive you. Or you're not going to be addicted to it. How can I be addicted to it? Or it's not a big deal. Let me tell you, if it's no big deal, why can't you stop it? It is a big deal. And he's trying to lure you into that passion. You don't have to give in to sin. You don't have to give in to that devil's... um whispering or that voice to you you have to say get behind me devil you can't you can say no to it you are not slave to to sin you rather you have you should be slave to righteousness okay you're under you are not under the law you're under grace okay so you should say no to it and i know it's going to be happening constantly but as time you keep practicing it and keep saying no it will get easier day, day by day but it won't make it stop it just will get easier for you to say no and let it go. So don't let the devil deceive you, think you can never recover from this. You can. If you can, if you think you're not privileged, at least when looking up to God and running to his feet, he can rescue you for it. So that's how I wanted to end this. But um, thank you so much, Ed, for coming. But before I let you go, I'd like to play a game with my guests. Uh, I was going to play a song association with you. But I don't know. You probably wouldn't be good at that. So... Let's play. <laughs> I don't know, it might be a little bit difficult. Or do you think you can do it? I, I'm willing to try. Can I, and by really? the way, that was th thank you for the beautiful reading from scripture. From, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to get that uh, the, that passage from Romans from you. But as far as song association, hey, yeah, let's give it a try. Let's okay, cool. Okay, hey, I might surprise try. you, Connie. You never know. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> okay, let's give it a try then. All okay, right. so I'm going to give you words, random words, and then you're going to sing a song already like the songs that we know it's not something that you make up a song that is out there that they have the word that i gave you in it i'm, I'm gonna sing the song yeah oh wow i hate to put your listeners through for me singing but okay i mean you don't have to be perfect we know my listeners know we are not we are not artists here okay we're just you know winging it so um it's gonna be like for instance i will uh no, i can't even think of any song right now but um 
I can say a million, and you can think of a song that have a million in it, and then you sing it, but it has to be already known song. It won't be a song that you just came up with, okay? Got it, okay. Okay, okay. let's make it easy. Let's start with um, God. Uh, God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's funny when you get put on the spot, how the, uh, the brain tends to freeze up. Uh, uh, God, God, there's so, there's so many songs with God in them. Uh, how about, uh, you know, the song I like, my, my dad used to sing me when I was a kid. Uh, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? Yeah. Got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Oh, I think God is in one of the in that song must, somewhere. Must be, yeah, because yeah, he is the God they're talking about. Okay. He's got brothers and sisters. In his hands, hands, brothers yeah. and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. I in like God's that song. Hands, you can say in God's hands. Gotcha. Brothers and sisters in God's hands. Okay. Yeah, you're right. That I'll let that one go. Yeah, that one's a good one. But let's try another one. Um, hmm. I would say the word high. High. Mm-hmm. There is uh there's a great song, oh, I used to love this song, by, um, you, you got me thinking along the line with God, you got me thinking of uh, Al Green. Oh, okay. Right? The, the, the Reverend Al. Yeah. He's got a song called I'll Fly Away. I, I'm trying to think about where the where uh, yeah. comes in. Yeah. Uh, I'll fly away. I, I just can't believe I'm going to try to sing an Al Green song. I'll fly <laughs> away, away, away. I'll fly away. Way, Maybe high, way. high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He talks about it high in there somewhere. I'm yeah. Sorry. Okay. Okay. How about this? What, how about the word love? Love. Uh, yeah, you know, you get put. This is a good. This is a good game because you get put on the spot. Love yeah. has got to be in more songs than. I mean, the word love has got to be in more songs yeah. than. Yeah. Love, love is a, a lot of songs. I don't yeah. know if I can think of anyone. Probably be more like a. Um, hip hop song. That's the one I can think of. Uh, yeah. How about uh, um, how about that uh, that one by? Uh, oh, you know, uh, there was the uh, the Ringo Starr song that um, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> I, was, I was so things. confident going no, into this a, game. No, it's it's always like that. With the word, just I'll just say the word. It feels like your brain, everything just freeze. You can't think of any song anymore. But yeah, I would think of probably um, Beyonce, Drunk in Love. That's the only okay. one I can think of, yeah, for love. And I'm sure there's a lot of other songs out there. But well, thank you so much, Ed, for at least being a good sport, for trying, because this, this game is a little bit hard. Last person that I played it with, we had fun, because he couldn't come up with any song. It's always a very hard game. But thank you so much. Love, love is the answer. Love is John Lennon, right? Oh yeah. Love is the answer. I can't remember any other words, but. Oh okay, that one is. Uh, is it John Legend? I think uh, John Lennon. Lennon. So, okay. Yeah, if you're if you're from my time, it's John Lennon. You know, oh, these okay. days, maybe people are more familiar with John Legend. John Legend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good one too. Oh okay, that's good. Well, okay. Before I let you go, um, where can you, I know you said your email already before, but what other place that can my listeners find you? All, all you need is love, Stone in Love by Journey. Uh, so, so now it's flooding. Now the, the okay. love songs are flooding into my mind. So to get to your question, my website is uh, www.edkressy.com. 
Gotcha. You can come, you can get a free PDF on 10 ways you can help a person struggling through recovery. You can uh, get sign up for my newsletter. It's free. You get it every week mm-hmm. and you can get a link to my book. We just donated 165 copies of my book to men who are incarcerated in Pelican Bay State Prison. This is one of the most notorious state prisons in California. The 165 men who received my book are all or almost all men who I've personally met, who I've worked with, who are enrolled in a transformational program of entrepreneurism, employment, and self-development. These are men who have made mistakes yet are turning their lives around. I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to work with them, donate my book. For your listeners, if you buy a copy of my book and you email me, and tell me you got my book on from you heard me on Connie's show, then uh, I will make sure that uh, an incarcerated person somewhere in America gets a free copy on your behalf. Just shoot oh. me an email, and you'll you, for every book that one of your listeners buys, we'll donate a free copy. Oh wow, that's yes. good. Thank you so much, Ed, for Thank that, you. and for all your commitment to the community to helping people incarcerated, because that's one sector a lot of people don't really pay attention to. And that needs a lot of um, a care, a lot of attention, because a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are really suffering in that area. But um, for my listeners, I will have um, Ed's um, website and his email under the description of this episode that you're listening to. So if you want to find it, click on description so you can get a direct link to the website and also the email so you can send him email. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for coming. I hope you had fun on this epi- on this podcast. And we, I really do appreciate your coming. A whole lot of love, Led Zeppelin. Uh, all you need is love, right? We yes. said that one already. Connie, yes. this is, <laughs> Connie, this is great. Thank you so, so much for all that you're doing, for all the, uh, all the healing you're bringing into the world. Thanks so much to your listeners for, for tuning in. It's great to be here. Yes, great to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Vent Time with Connie podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Please don't forget to like, rate, review, or share this podcast. Do you have any feedback or questions for Connie or any topics you'd like to discuss on the show? Connie loves communicating with our listeners. You can find her on Instagram and Facebook at Vent Time with Connie or send an email to venttimewithconnie at yahoo.com. Until next time, remain blessed.